Aloha, everyone. This is Tasha with Ellie Live Action on the beautiful island of Maui, and you are listening to T.W. Smith at Kung Fu Podcast, where you explore the culture, adventure, and impact martial arts has. Thank you for joining me here at Kung Fu Podcast. My name is T.W. Smith, where we explore the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. This particular episode is an evergreen episode for anyone today or many years in the future that wants to take a listen to the old classics of Bakwa. You're in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world, people that put in a great deal of care and effort into honing their craft. If you missed part one of the Bakwa training manual, I suggest you start there. It lays a great backdrop for what we're going to be listening to today. However, in this particular episode, it's perfectly fine to listen to this and then go back. It begins with the introduction here in part two where the author writes, There are many systems of martial arts. For instance, there is long boxing which contains clouding hands, kicking and hitting, dodging and turning, and leaping and shifting. Lone boxing has handwork, eye work, body work, waist work, footwork, and as well, courage, essence, energy, and spirit. Everything in it is worthwhile. Or, we look at another example, groundwork boxing, often known as detong. There are techniques like breakfall kick and scraping, and all of these techniques within the groundwork boxing are marvelous means of subduing an opponent. Or, in the case of Tai Chi Chuan boxing, every action has a strong intention, as though it was drawing out a thread of silk. In wielding power, it neither overdoes nor underdoes, developing a smooth naturalness and deterring any surge toward muscular aggressive energy. It can be said that Tai Chi cultivates body and mind simultaneously, and its effects are easily seen. With regards to other boxing arts, they all have their strong points. But we cannot list every art here. Bakwa's Jang works every part of the body with eight kinds of techniques that are analogous to each name of the trigrams. It differs from other boxing arts in many ways. Again, this is written in about 1929. It was published in about 1932. He states, in particular, the eight techniques entirely use an open hand rather than fist to strike. It uses an open hand because it is faster and quicker to adapt than a closed one. A second distinction in this art is while walking, the practitioner travels in a circle rather than along a straight or zigzag line. If someone walks straight ahead for many miles, that may wear him out. But if he walked almost half of that distance in a circle, then the practitioner will often become dizzy and fatigued. Make sure that you learn to practice properly. As the saying goes, what is habitual will become natural. Because everything that you do is going to be about the rotating and revolving in a circle, when you train to apply it, you will naturally begin flanking in a circle around your opponent to find a gap, and then you'll seize the opportunity to attack. 
On a personal note, one of the things that I had never experienced was this fatigue from walking, like he describes in a circle, but literally in muscular and fascial soreness. Walking in a circle puts demands on your body that I had never experienced, especially if you're doing it over, you know, 20, 30, 45 minutes or so. It begins to turn like the iliotibial band, the way that you turn your waist, the core, everything has to work in a way that you don't normally do when you're walking just straight ahead. The walking itself is an exercise that takes a great deal of work and you will feel the benefits of walking this art in the circle as it is intended. The author continues to write, is the same as in using an army. Relying on only frontal assaults will sometimes be effective but can lead to terrible difficulties. If the proper formations are made, the enemy is sure to resist against one area, but then will collapse in another and then ultimately lose. Furthermore, a third distinction is the postural walking is comprehensively defensive. One palm is reached out at eyebrow level, able to defend the area between the head top, throat, and beyond. The other palm is extended just below the elbow of the forward arm. The rear elbow is aligned with your solar plexus to guard your chest, and the palm can also be guarding your ribs. The particular stepping pattern that you have to learn and do so repetitively cover over your crotch to be able to guard against your groin. Sun Tzu once wrote, Skilled warriors first put themselves into an invulnerable position and then are patient for the enemy to reveal where they are vulnerable. Wu Zi once wrote, From behind strong fortifications, watch for the moment the enemy drops his guard and then attack. These are exactly the concepts that Bakwa is built around. The Wu Zi I just mentioned is a classical Chinese work on military strategy attributed to Wu Qi. It is considered one of China's seven military classics. It was also taught long ago in Bakwa Jiang that the human body matches the trigrams. It says in the explanation of the trigrams from the Book of Changes, Kung corresponds to the abdomen. He continues to write this down about the body, but then he writes, Because the art is passed down as eight trigrams, that's what Bakwa means, it has the same kind of situation as Xing Yi, which has its interpretational flaws of the five elements. The author Yin goes on to give you several examples of the esoteric and philosophical uh, thoughts from others that uses the eight trigrams as a way to interpret the art rather than cataloging the art as a martial system. Then he plainly states, But if we continue to study all these points, we do not find any meaningful evidence to back up these ideas. Perhaps the teachers of those times were providing helpful hints to the students for remembering things about the parts of the body. However, in this scientific age of the 1920s and 1930s, such strained interpretations do not seem appropriate. But since the art is called Bakwa, an intimate relationship with the Book of Changes is inevitable. Now we're going to transition to some of the descriptions of actually walking, and I'm trying to draw you a picture as well as I can between his writing and some of the things that uh, I try to teach my students. While walking Bakwa, you must learn to loosen your shoulders, extend your forward 
young arm to a natural length. Sink your elbows, store power, and be prepared to issue it. Close your knees as you step and keep your feet level as they step out, as though they were being blown alone by the wind. One of the other ancient classics would say is that you want to learn to walk as if you are sliding across the earth like a spirit. We use three stepping patterns for a practitioner to make fluid in general. They all follow the same descriptive principles. In the next paragraph, Yen describes the need for good posture and mechanics, the type of discussion that often gets dramatized because he's going to speak of blocking your energy. And as he wrote earlier, There is no room here for all these magical interpretations. If you translate as it was intended, it is no different than an offensive line coach teaching the proper and different mechanics required to drive run block compared to pull and sweep or to pass block. All three things are blocking, but all three things require a different set of mechanics and a different set of energy to execute them. On the other side of that line of scrimmage, it's just the same as a linebacker coach on the posture mechanics to shed a block, scrape across the line, or deliver a textbook tackle. These coaches may not use the phrase, you are blocking your energy, but that's exactly what you do if you do not have the proper posture, mechanics, and being coiled ready to issue it. You will not move and perform properly, and you will certainly not deliver a meaningful blow against your opponent. So, avoid turning anything you're about to hear into some sort of chi dance. It is simply telling you the best way to prepare yourself to perform optimally. Straighten your neck and hollow your chest. Be poised and upright. If your head leans forward or back, it will spark tension below. Energy should be sinking from your dantian, and so your spine must not be reaching out behind you. For if you poke out your chest and reach with your back, the harms of this error are beyond description. As it is said, miss by an inch, lose by a mile. So you cannot afford to be slunched over, hunched over, head and chest past the center of your feet, over your skis, or sulky in your posture. You will not be prepared. He continues by writing, The function of energy is truly not a matter of mere hollow words. And here I will give you a sense of this. Bakwa Techniques' majorly practices for generating energy have to be presented in detail. Mengzi said, Maintain your willpower, but do not harm your energy. Sun Tzu wrote, The method of controlling victory is a matter of the army's energy sinking down and not floating up. It is the same for Bakwa Jang, nurturing energy. This maintaining your willpower but do no harm to your energy can be a relatively simple translation. Stay confident. Stay out of your head. Stay loose. Don't let things rise up and then block up so the only thing you think about is if you're going to win or lose, if you're going to punch them in the nose or not, you know, all those different things. Those interfere with your ability to be successful. I used to think about Muhammad Ali when he would stand in that corner, bouncing and moving, just kind of shaking himself out, not letting anything interfere with his ability to succeed in what he knew he could do. Yin continues to write, When withdrawing your palm, inhaling is best. When shooting your palm, exhaling is best. When moving, 
energy courses through your whole body. When storing, energy concentrates at one place. When you lift, energy activates. When releasing, energy disperses. Whether separating from or joining with the opponent, energy can be concentrated or spread out. If there is no energy between moving your muscles and tendons, then there will be no power when your palm strikes. Another good example of learning how to concentrate power, issue it in a proper way, is, uh, for example, when a coach is uh, teaching a young man how to throw a football or baseball. And to teach the proper mechanics, where to get the energy from to make a good throw, he'll put the athlete down on one knee. So he can't use the energy from his muscles or tendons in his legs and the earth to move his arm. He has to learn to use his waist and the rest of his torso and core to execute something and issue it through his arm out to make a good throw. It is a mechanical way of dropping the power and focusing on the mechanics. Yin continues to write, When you spot a gap to exploit and attack, but you have not stored any energy, then it would be no better than missing the opportunity altogether. All of Bakwa training requires that you first train your courage, then to train your palms. It is also necessary to nurture energy in order to be able to use it in the right measure of expending and replenishing it so that it never gets used up. And then, after time, you will cope with situations much more calmly and you will avoid the harms of panting and of energy floating up. So basically, get yourself into shape, right? You're not trying to do anything. You have got to get your energy stored up so that you have enough stamina, enough focus, enough power to issue and to go out, do things over and over without exhausting yourself. This isn't magical. Get in condition for all of your endeavors. Once you have grasped the method of nurturing energy and you're in shape, you will have the ability of hand arriving, eyes arriving, body arriving, waist arriving, and step arriving all at the same time. Your spirit will naturally glow and your courage is sure to be boosted. However, the method of nurturing energy also values storing spirit more than gathering energy. When you practice, make your breath natural, keeping energy at your elixir field, the Dantian for example, and you will function in much smoother coordination. The two main energy fields there he's referring to is the lower and middle Dantian, or if you're in dance or, or, or sports or anything else, pretty much what you're looking at is the point of gravitation uh, right below your belly button and the point of levitation right there in your heart. Storing spirit and keeping energy in the right places. The more you practice, the more refined it will become. But then he writes, you must never treat the accumulation of energy as something magical. Be mindful of this. Here are three tips that the author Yin offers you while you're having a Bakwa practice session. One, after circle walking, you must not expand your chest and take in giant lungfuls of air. Try to keep steady breathing. The second tip, you must not sit or lie down, becoming abruptly still, for this will result in the harm of rhythms of energy and blood being made uneven. Now, that is exactly the same thing to this day, even though this was nearly a hundred years ago, 
that we tell a cardiac, pulmonary patient, any athlete, we call it cooling down. After a good workout, don't go plant your rear end over there on a bleacher seat or something. Go over there, slow down, walk a little bit, stretch a little bit. That's the time to do it. Do not sit down. If you're a cardiac patient and after a good workout, you just sit down, there's a very good chance that you're going to have some cardiac problems, including inducing an arrhythmia. And then the third tip that he offers here, you should not eagerly eat or drink immediately after practice. Instead, you must casually walk around for 10 to 15 minutes, waiting for your energy and your blood to stabilize. Then you may eat or drink. So this isn't anything magical. You want to learn to take care of yourself and to continue on a practice and study of the Bakwa Zhang. This book continues for a good long ways, and I can't extend enough my thank you to Mr. Brennan for translating it. The thing that I want to mostly have for you is first, like I said, an evergreen resource. It'll sit out there for the next seven, eight years so that anybody who's interested in getting introduced or already practices uh, Bakwa or what some people may even call an internal art can get an idea of what cutting the magic out of it is all about and being down to the uh, roots and the fundamentals of it. I would encourage you to find a good teacher. Bakwa is one of those arts where pretty much left and right doesn't matter anymore because you're rotating your body as you revolve around a circle. It's extremely complex to learn because you have to learn in a third dimension that you don't have to learn in, for example, Xing Yi, Tai Chi Chuan, uh, Choli Foot, things like that. Uh, you really have to put your mind in a new place. And it was great. It was also very challenging. If you haven't yet, whatever podcast player that you're listening to right now, please go over and leave a review for this program. It's been a while that I've asked, but it would really help the program be seen and exposed and shared with others. And most of all, let me know what you think. Go over to KungFuPodcast.com and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Take care. Have a great practice today, and I'll be talking with you again real soon. This next piece was written by Wan Yang Xiao as a preface, and he writes, A boxing art system was traditionally passed down only through personal instruction, leaving no authoritative writing. Furthermore, although many schools claim that so-and-so passed down such-and-such, there is really no way to verify it. He continues by saying that the oldest martial arts are described nowadays as external strengthening and internal energizing. One also writes at the time that whoever passed it down to us is not recorded in neither historical records or unofficial histories. This makes seeking its origins very difficult. And as I revealed in Kung Fu Podcast number 203 and 204, the last two that came out, the pursuit of origins can lead you down different paths, and some of those with unfortunate outcomes. Juan does say that we can at least deduce this much. Disciples from the Shaolin Temple helped spread the art throughout the nation, each emphasizing his own specialty, thereby splitting the art into many systems and styles. Today, 
the 1930s, there are so many schools that they can hardly be listed. However, the three schools, Xingyi, Tai Chi Chuan, and Baquazhang, have to this very day remained consistent in their transmissions, rather than branching off into different systems. In particular, Bakwa originated during the reign of Emperor Chao Qing, 1796-1820, from the palace eunuch Dong Hao Chen of Wen County, Hebei. He had practiced long boxing in his youth. Then, middle-aged in the palace, he one night encountered an unusual man and they fought. Admiring one another's abilities, they taught each other all of their skills. Unfortunately, this unusual man that he bumped into's name was never revealed. Then, for more than 10 years of hard work, Bakwa rose as a particular system and it became famous. It attracted hundreds of students, such as Skinny Yin, Handsome Ma, Spectacles Chung, and Jade Blossom Louie, who were the four disciples Dong was most proud of. Chung's student, Li Wen Biao, also learned from Yin and obtained the entire art. Yin's fourth son, Yu Shang, who is the author of this whole book, is very capable at teaching all of the subtleties of his family's art. He has now produced a photographic manual from the Qingdao Martial Arts Institute on Bakwa Palming. The art is divided into eight techniques and catalogs through the eight trigrams of the Book of Changes. The successive movements are different for each technique, and the way that one movement changes into another are all somewhat complicated. But if you follow along with the photos in the manual, the postures will be clear at a glance you'll be able to sense the hard work he has put into it.